Hello, everyone, and welcome to another reaction show edition of The Secret Origins of Mint Condition. Uh, we are continuing on with our discussion about Picard Season 2, and we're also going to venture into strange new worlds um, also in this episode. So uh, joining me once again, as always, on the bridge of the USS Mint Condition is Josh. Hello. And John. Hey, everyone. And uh, beaming in from uh, Deep Space Nine is friend of the show, Jack Adrian. Hello, all. And beaming in from the USS Enterprise, probably his favorite ship, is friend of the show and main host of the main show is Joe Paluzzo. Hey, folks. How you doing? All right, so uh, so we're gonna start off with wrapping up what we've been talking about for these these past nine episodes, and um, and talk about Picard, the uh, the final episode debuted. I feel like um, a lot of the things we talked about going along in the series came true in this this last episode. Um, so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna start start us off by uh, John. What were you, what were your what are your thoughts about this episode? And then um, I guess maybe you can also lead into your thoughts now overall with the series. Now that we've seen the whole complete picture. Oh wow! Well, I I really enjoyed the finale. Um, I was an emotional wreck at various points of it um, because it hit it hit all those feels at different points. Uh, which is what I think it was designed to do. And I will, uh, I saw a weird word with somebody reviewing it. They called it unhinged and then sort of tried to redefine the word unhinged. I'm like, that's not what it means. But what they remember was like, it was, it was everything all the time, all over the place. Um, but it did it well. Uh, and, and, and I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I thought as, as wrap ups go, um, they, you know, they, they close the storylines, but the emotional beats were there. I felt really emotionally satisfied and, and enjoyed it a whole bunch. I, I agree with you. I felt I felt pretty satisfied too at the end of the episode. I mean, obviously, looking forward to season three and knowing that we have one is very exciting. Um, Josh, what were your overall feelings on this episode and and now as the series as a whole? Well, I think John summed it up uh, very nicely. Um, I would say that I was emotionally very satisfied. You know, in a contest between uh, between emotional satisfaction and uh, you know plot logic resolution. I would go with emotional satisfaction every time. That's not to say um, that I didn't think the uh, the wrap up uh, made sense. I thought um, I thought that it made an enormous amount of sense. I was pleased that the the Girati as uh, uh, queen uh, development seemed uh, to be uh, correct. And I, you know, it's interesting um, uh, because we have been talking about it uh, for weeks. I don't know that I had that sort of logical plot satisfaction of actually seeing it happen because I've already sort of gotten used to the idea. Um, I would have liked to have seen a little um, more than just the throwaway line about what they discovered on Europa, you know, because this Europa mission is ostensibly the reason for the, uh, for the entire exercise. So, so I thought that uh, they could have spent a little more time on that, but that's a minor uh, quibble all in all. I think you know. For me, the real, the real, uh, the core of the episode and this season, you know, uh, was really that final scene with um, uh, uh, Patrick Stewart and John Delancey as Picard and Q, respectively, where they they embrace, and it was a tearful goodbye. And I was, I, I was tearing up. I was just so unexpectedly moved uh, to see, uh, you know, these two adversaries or or frenemies i guess is the only word that i'm uh, uh, that's coming to mind that uh 
seems to do their relationship any justice. Um, but seeing them, you, you know, embrace each other as uh, one goes off uh, to the great unknown, not not alone, uh, was just so wonderful and so beautiful. And is, um, you know, for me, the, uh, you know, excuse enough for the whole uh, the whole season. No, I agree with it that. Really, I that was, it, yeah, it was it was beautiful. That that scene was beautiful. John, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to cut you yeah, off. Yeah, I mean th- that that was that that was it. And 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 uh, we, I, I think, in, in our discussions here, we, we've sort of seen this concept coming. Didn't know how it was going to happen, but it was our theory was like, okay. Well, Q's not going to be the villain. Villain. He's not trying to be evil or bad here. We thought there was something bigger to his plan, that there was something you know going on here, uh, as Q is you know want to do. Um, and it took until episode 10 to get it all, you know, uh, all done because nine episodes and you really did feel like he was a villain, maybe up until that scene with Guinan, uh, two episodes ago. Um, and then this, it felt a little bit, uh, like a quick turn of the head, like, wait a second, the, the, the plot seemed to shift here. But of course that actually makes complete sense with Q because he turns on a dime. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. that, that, that's the Q we've, we, we've known even going back to Q who it was, oh, wait, Introducing to the Borg in the first place may have actually been a kick in their complacency and a good thing. This was a this was just the next level of that on the emotional level. Q, what he was going through, and that that I've watched that last scene. It's not the last scene of the show, but it's a it's the middle of the episode. That but the but the two scenes with Picard and Q, I think they're masterful. I think they the 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 the, the dialogue is brilliant because you know from the moment where you just hear him whisper "Bravo" and the car goes into, you know, that room and sees Q. Uh, and you realize that this was all about this fundamental human experience. And Q was giving the greatest final gift he could give to Picard. And it was wonderful and beautiful and unshackling him from his own past, the, own, the, the human tendency to link ourselves to our past and our traumas and our guilt um, and freeing him of that. Um, I will say I loved the line where uh, uh, Picard asks why, and Q says very intently, "Finish the sentence." That was brilliant, and then goes on, you know, say, "Why me? Um, am I am I needed for something?" And Q just goes, "Not everything is of galactic importance. Not everything is a celestial drama." It's like sometimes there's one life is enough. It matters to me. You matter to me. That that's where I that, that's where I broke it. That's where I broke it. I was just yeah. like, oh, there we go. Um, and 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 I thought that was you know that sort of uh, uh, you know personal interaction that we've all been waiting for for this entire series was that Picard Q thing. And uh, talk about talk about a payoff. No, I I agree. I thought that's what we wanted to see the whole season. That's what we were trying to build towards. Um, and it was it was very touching to see that their relationship sort of wrapped up as, as we've pointed out before. And I think Josh, you're the first one to point like they, they, these two, we met these two at the same time. So it was nice to see the, the two of them, you know, come together and have like this moment of, of, of connection between the two of them after this long journey that we spent with the characters, Jack, you have been listening to the, to our show uh, for, for this, for the nine episodes up leading up to the finale. And I know you have thoughts, so um, we, we've kind of given our feelings on on the on the last episode and the series as a whole. But what what's your what's your take on it? Uh, joining this episode today, 
Uh, well, thank you, James. Um, so, um, yes, I've, I've been listening uh, religiously uh, every week to the uh, recap shows. And so I think uh, they've been awesome, uh, you know, for our listeners in the interest of full disclosure. I have not seen season two. Uh, I did watch season one. Um, so uh, it was the fact that uh, if you had Netflix internationally, then you could watch uh, all of the Star Trek shows. Uh, they changed that uh, this year. And so um, I think the last thing I saw was uh, the third season of Discovery, and I saw part season one. But uh, I do listen to the wrap-up shows, the recap shows that you have. And also, uh, I do watch the recap shows online, and there's one YouTube channel that actually shows small clips. And, and so I, I feel I feel conflicted because I, I appreciate uh, everything that you and John and Josh have said, um, from what I've read, from what I've seen, um, I am struggling to truly uh, find uh, true appreciation for this season. Um, I agree with John. I, I think it's masterful uh, in the way that they um, essentially uh, tee up uh, a lot of uh, strong feels and emotional responses. Um, but from my understanding of how the season went, uh, it seems to really try to mesh and force together a lot of different things together in a way that didn't always kind of pan out. And so, um, you know, in, in thinking about the show, I, I sat back and I looked at all of the precursors and the inspirations from other Star Treks uh, that might have kind of played a role. Um, and then additionally, um, I feel that there were too many themes going and again, I, I've never been in a writer's room, um, and I don't want to be that 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 fan who says, "Oh, this is how I would have written it." Um, but you know, it, oh, come it on, kind yeah. of, yeah, <laughs> of course, I, I, we're all that fan. You know, everyone's got their head cannon. But you know, I, I tried to sit back and kind of, um, if I were to break it down into its most simplistic components, um, you know, what were the themes that I have kind of picked up, and so. Um, you know, I have this, uh, I find this list of huge uh, common themes. And so uh, the three that I kind of focus on uh, are desire to escape, uh, effects from the past, uh, and self-awareness. And the thing that I, I found and what I've seen is self-awareness, I think, applies to all of the characters. I think it was not equally as distributed amongst the rest of the cast as it could have been. Um, and that makes perfect sense. And, you know, the, it, the show is, you know, uh, eponymous, eponymously named Star Trek Picard. So you focus on Picard. But I think then what you have is you have this great new cast of characters that you introduced in season one. Uh, and then essentially they don't seem to have a lot to do in season two. And, and so I feel that that probably kind of made it somewhat disjointed. I'd love to hear what Josh and John and James, what you guys think, uh, based on what I've said. Um, well, I just want to respond spe uh, specifically to what you just said. The last thing you said about, you know, it seems like a lot of season one characters didn't really have a lot uh, to do in season two. And I think the showrunner and the writing staff for season two is different from season one. So I very much get the sense that we have a a showrunner who um, who is, you know, trying to be... Uh, respectful of the uh, the cast of characters that he inherited, uh, but they're not his characters. In other words, uh, they're not slices of his psyche. So, so he he utilizes them in ways that make sense and in ways uh, that he knows how. Uh, but that, uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, for this creative team uh, putting the show together, they are not essential to the telling the story of Card. Uh, they're only here. Uh, uh, because uh, we know that that uh, Picard is involved with them, 
uh, last we saw him in season one of the show, at the end of season one of the show. So, you know, similarly to how they sort of, they paid lip service to the fact that uh, uh, Picard, you know, now lives on in a synthetic uh, uh, body, uh, but that was, you know, something that uh, was sort of more or less ignored out of a few um, sort of acknowledgements. I think, you know, the fact that we we leave uh, we lose the vast majority of the new characters introduced in season one at the end of the second season. I think, I think, I think speaks to that. It seems like the only uh, two Picard season one uh, uh, characters are um, uh, that are going to continue on in season three are are Seven and Raffi. And Seven isn't really a Picard character. She's a legacy character from uh, from Voyager. So I would have to say that I agree with that. Um, sense that you have jack about you know these these characters don't really have a lot uh to do and i i felt that as well and i really uh you know like i said i feel it's uh, because for this writing staff they were they were sort of surplus to requirements for a show about picard about this character i think you're right about that especially with the way that they were trying to pull as, as jack said they're trying to pull so many different Star Trek concepts and storylines in together from time travel to the Borg to Q to, you know, uh, uh, cards past all these different things. Um, and then you have all, you have this whole cast of characters and one common theme we've had in our show has been that uh, uh, the short shift, some of the really cool characters get or, or minimal screen time, particularly Rafi and seven uh, who again, get a great moment in this show uh, where they sort of figure out a little bit of their own reconciliation and and finding out more about themselves and what they want and whether whether they can be together and you know what their own future looks like and that was neat but it was again it was very quick it was very you know rapidly executed and I don't I don't feel like we got to know them well enough to really you know we care about them because yeah we know seven Rafi we know from the previous season but don't have particularly much of a, a connection with yet uh, at least I at least I don't. Um, so if they were trying to just, you know, get every character involved, I definitely felt very connected to Gerardi through this season. You know, I, I thought they did a good, a good job, uh, with her. Um, and again, like Jack, those like core themes, uh, alienation, isolation, the feeling of not being able to connect to others. Like they really, they, they manifest that really well in her. And I, and I love the way that they tie that into the Borg because there, there, there we are again, you know, because you know we, we shoot to the end of the episode, back back to the future again, and it's Gerardi's board queen. Why she's there to save the universe again or save the galaxy, and the Borg sort of as something completely new and different. Everybody's saying, "Oh, they're not as scary anymore. They're not this. They're not as scary as they've been since season two, you know, of, of Next Generation. You can only do that a few times." Um, and now I find it fascinating what they did with that. They 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 took that concept of isolation created a board queen who's going around and finding the lost and dispossessed and damaged and building a new sort of cybernetically enhanced community based on mutual cooperation, but not, uh, uh, not forced into it. Uh, and there they are at the end, helping to save our galaxy or our quadrant and end up with that line. We will be the guardians at the gate. Uh, I thought that was, that, that was really cool because that's that that links it really well. And, and I'm actually satisfied with that. I'm not, I'm, I'm not like, oh, well, they're not the Borg anymore. They're not the scary things. Like, that's kind of cool because what else have the Borg really been seeking this whole time? Uh, uh, you know, 
And uh, with, you know, with that resolution, it's sort of like, ah, part of them got it. Now, I don't know about the rest of the Borg, but it, it, it made sense from a storyline uh, component. Uh, but Jack, you're totally right. They, the, st- the amount of stuff they crammed in, the way the writers did, this whole season would have been much better either as a, as a series of movies or if it had just dropped in one bingeable uh, uh, set because it really didn't feel satisfying episodically. Uh, we were very much waiting on our seat. It had weird cuts, weird endings and breaks. Whereas it's sort of like, okay, well, wait, what, more? And I think as we later on get to discuss Strange New Worlds, we see you know, what it's like actually to return to episodic format and, and have a really satisfying hour-long experience. So if I were to do this again, I would say, just binge the whole show, you know, wait until it drops season three, maybe tell somebody, yeah, you know, wait until all season three drops uh, and then watch the whole thing. You'll probably enjoy it a lot more. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me if that's how they do the next season as well. Yeah. I, I agree with the points you made, Jack. I, I kind of, um, I felt like, you know, the, like, you know, the characters from season one, as Josh, you pointed out that the writers were stuck with were kind of just crammed in there and were kind of, you know, not necessary to the story, but they had had to use them because they were there from season one. I mean, you know, I, I, the whole like Laris, not Laris thing being Talon was kind of, you know, the, the convenient explaining away, like the, we just happen to look alike genetically because we have maybe similar backgrounds or something. I mean, I felt the same way about, about Soji's character, but we got a really nice payoff for Soji's character, which I don't know if that justifies having this character around just to get that payoff, but it was nice to see um, John. And then John, this is tribute to you. Another thing that you picked up on ahead of time was what happened with Soji and, and the Travelers, which I thought was a excellent payoff um i'm you know at least for closing that story and linking us back to the you know next generation um crew and and all our time we spent with them and i will also say that i john you just were saying like how you know the raffi and seven story we've been talking about the whole time we didn't get as much attention as we would want but i was i mean i would have liked to see more with them and hopefully that's the spinoff series they're working on is is um with raffi and seven but i was happy that she got at least the field promotion of Captain, especially since she's a character, like she's a legacy character from Voyager. We got the snippet that Janeway tried to get her into Starfleet and she was rejected and she had to go her own way. And now Picard makes her a captain of, of the Stargazer, one of the top ships, um, I thought was a nice payoff. Um, oh, when she sat down in that captain's chair? Yes, it was. She was the captain. Which I hope they keep keep that up, either in the next season of Picard or, like, like I said, I hope that's the spinoff show they're working on is with Seven in command of the Stargazer. Um, Jack. Yeah, James. No, no, I, I agree with everything that you guys have said. I mean, so, I mean, again, to, to echo your sentiments, uh, everything that I've seen and everything that I know gave me the feels. Um, I think for me as a fan, uh, and I think this ties into, um, you know, our previous discussion of, of what is Star Wars, is I, I felt that this season of Picard, and I don't know, it almost seemed an overcorrection uh, from season one, where this season just felt to be a lot of fan service. Um, and it seemed to lean heavily on nostalgia. Um, and and in, in some ways, I think that was, I think it had mixed results. Uh, and, and so they, they in, in, in listening to the course of the, the recap episodes that you've had, there is so much for a Star Trek fan to kind of look and take a part in so many different Easter eggs. Um, and as a fan, I appreciated that. But I think as a viewer, I felt that that essentially tried to uh, create shortcut for actual story. Um, and, and so instead of giving me the Easter egg, I would have appreciated um, just providing much more depth 
uh, or much more, um, you know, so, so I, I think I, I mentioned um, earlier um, before we, we got on is, you know, I've been doing this writing class. Um, and, and so um, it's, it's um, with this, uh, and so I have a, a writing coach. Uh, her name is Jordan Rosenfeld at that jordanrosenfeld.net. Um, and, and so, um, you know, try to explore different aspects of story. And so one of the key things that she says um, in one of her books, Making a Scene, is in every scene, just as in every plot, there are three key layers known as action, emotion, and theme. Um, and so there are many other things that she kind of brings into to, to, to play. Um, but I, I feel on some level, uh, they did pretty okay um, with the emotion, but it was kind of sporadic. Um, and so it happened, but then it was really grounded in Picard. And again, we've already discussed that. I think they had a lot more latitude uh, to either bring it all together. Uh, and so for instance, um, with respect to, uh, as I mentioned, uh, the theme that I pulled from it was self-awareness. And so obviously uh, Jean-Luc Picard um, struggling and wrestling with, you know, the suicide of his mother, uh, by the way, people, spoilers, would would have to kind of confront uh, many different emotions, but, you know, and, and you know, John, to, to your point as well, Agnes, you know, um, the self-awareness of who she is uh, and kind of coming to grips with that. Now, I think that's probably the best and strongest storyline because on one level coming from season one, where she, you know, let's, call it what it is, she murdered Bruce Maddox. Um, and by the time you get to the beginning of season two, they kind of whitewash and gloss over that. But essentially her story arc is still her wrestling with her, her, her lack of place and her, her, her lack of, 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 of truly belonging. Um, Rafi, I think, um, also with Elnor and, and that storyline, again, there's that self-awareness of what she did in, in her, her desire to manipulate. But again, I felt... The writers could have just pulled back slightly from season one and, you know, talked about the estrangement with her family. And, and then that could have added a lot more emotion to what was going on, um, you know. And then, you know, Rios, again, I, I think his self-awareness was amazing. You know, it comes at the last, you know, episodes like I, I don't truly belong. Um, and and that is so true. I mean, and that's something that they pulled in from season one. But it's almost kind of like. If you hadn't seen season one, you just see him as captain of the Stargazer, and then he says it at the end. And so there are these opportunities, conversations, dialogues uh, that that could have allowed for that to to really get expanded on. And obviously, and I think you know, John, to to, to your point as well, Seven of Nine, uh, they handled that really well. Again, she's a legacy character from Voyager, and 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 so. There's two levels of self-awareness there. Uh, there is um, the first aspect insofar as she got to live as just a regular human, you know, and, and experience that something she hasn't done since she was a child. Um, and, and so you were able to see this is what she could have been. Um, but then also then the self-awareness on the other side is the, the acceptance of, all right, well, it seems like I'm meant to be a Borg and that's okay because it doesn't define who I am. I've been able to see who I am as a human and the fact that I am Borg does not define me in the way that I thought it had. So again, I just felt that there were so many rich veins of story that were overlooked. Uh, and again, I don't want to be that guy who's like, well, you know, if, if Paramount Plus were to call me, I, I, I'll give him a talking to. But it, it, it just, I, I wrestled with that. Thanks. Jack, can I just say, is that the voice you have to have in a writer's room of your starter? I've listened to Michael Schur do interviews, and <laughs> whenever he talks about the writer's room, I think he automatically defaults to the, well, you know, uh, what's your ideas? I don't know, a rubber chicken. Um, so that's not me, that's Michael Schur. 
I don't disagree with some of the stuff with a lot of the stuff you're saying there, Jack. I, I we were we've said I think throughout the throughout these nine episodes leading up to this episode that we um, that there was a lot of things they could have mined story wise that we they wish they they had. Um, you know the Rio the Rios thing. I mean they they planted the seeds, but I mean all the characters and we've already kind of discussed this. Like no, nobody got as much you know time on the screen as as Picard got, and the choices they decided to make with the other characters, you know kind of made some of the resolutions in this last episode in episode nine seem, I guess, sort of sudden or, or non-existent. Um, I mean, I, Josh, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Well, yeah, you know, it's a tricky thing when you have such a large ensemble that's not, uh, that's, that's in a serialized series, you know, on next gen from season three on every character uh, would have their own episode or rather, um, or rather every episode would have, uh, one of the, uh, other principal characters as as a focus um and when you are telling really what is one story over a season or 10 hours of television you you sort of have to uh, you can't service um how many main uh, characters are there uh, six maybe seven uh, you can't give each one of them uh, the same equal sides of uh of of role in the story. I mean, obviously, each of the characters have, uh, you know, their their journeys, and um, they take the spotlight at, at different moments throughout. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I think uh, this was a show about Picard, um, and then uh, right below Picard, I would say, you know, probably uh, Girardi had the most development. Then after that is Seven, and and Adam Sung. And uh, Corey really had a lot of development, uh, which is interesting because, uh, you know, Corey's character, I very much get the sense that, uh, you know, similar with um, Lara slash Talon, that they were just trying to find ways to utilize these actors from season one. You know, Adam Sung gets a lot of development and screen time because he's a villain, and they have to give him proper motivation th- uh, to justify the his his uh, his function in the plot. Uh, but ultimately, uh, the Corey storyline doesn't really go anywhere. You, you know, obviously, it was very lovely to see Will Wheaton return as Wesley Crusher, and uh, you know, he's he's still a traveler, and they have, I think, uh, connected the the uh the mythology of the travelers and the uh, uh the gary seven uh people um other uh, name uh, uh what did they call them in the episode their um supervisors mm-hmm. you know that that really kind of felt like a a little bit of an appendage that was just sort of hanging uh you know extra appendage it didn't necessarily need to be here obviously i think you know, if we're going to see Wesley, I think uh, Picard was the show um, uh, to see him in. But that said, th- the reason is, is because I want to see a scene between Wesley and Picard. Uh, you know, I think uh, Picard, I was going to say this uh, uh, last week uh, when we uh, were talking about how, you know, it seems like the second season finale of the show was the perfect place to see Wesley as a traveler. And uh, uh, you know, it turns out uh, we were uh, correct. Uh, but the reason th- uh, that I was hoping for that is because, you know, Picard is really the closest thing Wesley has uh, to a father after his real father, uh, uh, Jack Crusher. 
And, you know, if you watch uh, the episode of TNG where Wesley leaves uh, the series, I believe it was called Final Mission or uh, something from season three of, uh, no, season five, someone correct me. I think it's season five of of, uh, uh, Next Generation or um, uh, when he leaves to go off to Starfleet Academy. You know, that is a father-son relationship. And, you know, so while it was lovely to see him as a little as a little cameo and confirms um, what we were all uh, kind of theorizing about. Um, I really would have wanted to see um, Wesley see, see Picard again, see his father again. And uh, I also really feel like there was an opportunity, you know, given we don't know the true extent of the, of the capabilities of the travelers or what it really means to be one, um, you know, they introduced or not introduced, but they highlighted in a, a really strong way this season, the relationship uh, between like uh, what I will call like the echelons of the omnipotent, the relationship between the Q continuum and the Elorians, the watchers and the listeners. And, uh, you know, we have um, uh, the supervisors and the person of uh, Talon. And, you know, we have the travelers. I would have loved to have, you know, some some acknowledgement or some, you know, if you're going to be pulling on all of these uh, uh, dangling threads of um, these omnipotent characters whom we've met uh, throughout all of the various iterations of Star Trek, um, you know, it just seems like if you're you're telling a story about Q and you're going to be bringing the travelers in in the form of wesley you know they should have some sort of acknowledgement like i'm just the i mean again to echo what jack was saying i mean um uh, paramount plus called me up i uh, i would i would have told them what they should have done uh but how cool would it have have been to have had a you know, a climax where Wesley as the traveler kind of factors in and we have this like three-way scene between Q, who's who's an omnipotent uh, being since the beginning of the show, uh, sub- uh, subjecting Picard to some sort of a trial. And the the key to resolving it is the, the, the omnipotent uh, being whom he had a hand in raising and guiding in the form of uh, Wesley as a traveler. I mean, imagine uh, the three of them having a scene together and the lesson uh, could be something along the lines of, you know, through Picard's guidance and, you know, wisdom or whatever, he's really responsible for leading uh, Wesley to uh, his ultimate uh, destiny or something thereabouts. I I apologize f- for slipping into fan fiction mode. I agree. I agree with you that um, that would have been nice to see all those things, things tied up. Um, you know, it was nice fan service and nice as a fan to see Wesley Crusher back. But the moment I did want to see is him and Picard interacting, which as coy as he is, he has been about not being in season three. It's, I think, still up in the air at this point, considering he said he wasn't involved at all and showed up at the end of season two of Picard. It would seem odd, I guess, that they didn't have the two of them meet, but I guess it's possible. So it would have been much more, I think, satisfying to see him and Picard reconcile. I mean, John, I, I have to ask you, since you you called it last week, what were, what were your thoughts about the appearance we got of Wesley Crusher? I think it was it was a uh, it was a fun little scene, and that's the extent of it. Um, it it it, yeah. it it had some you know it had some good qualities. It linked some things together, like the travelers to the supervisors explaining 
that line in original series so that they can transport through time as well, or so Scotty theorized. You know, um, it didn't do very much, uh, but, it, but it was nice to see. So I, th- I, th- I think it was really just sort of like, how can we do this? Bring him in, do that. To Josh's sort of uh, fan fiction, uh, uh, you know, concept that I feel like that's something like, like, like that all of us in a writer's room would, would, would definitely come up with something like that. But it was also, that's a fundamentally different story because it's about what Picard did for others. And this season was fundamentally about Picard, about him and the fact that he does all these great things and that he's utterly alone regardless. Um, mm. and, and that was the story. That was the concept and that they did, they did succeed at. Um, that, you know, and, and especially when they, you know, distill it down that last line, does everything have to be of galactic importance? In this, it's, no, it's not galactic importance. Uh, it's it's the importance of one person and their journey and their uh, uh, self-discovery and their happiness. So I think I think they succeeded in that. In another time and place, it would be really interesting to have that dramatic intersection of those powerful beings. Um, I don't think anybody ever really figured out how to pull that off completely in Star Trek because I don't, I don't recall anything quite that, quite that big. And I think for the, for the tone of this season, it would have been, would have been, been a bit much to quickly slip into fan fiction mode myself. I think they could have gone the mode of, well, Q did run out of power. Maybe he used his surplus energy to bring back Elnor and then was like, oh, but I can't get you all back. And that's where the traveler comes in is like, well, you're supposed to be back in the future. So I'm going to bring you back. And that's how that got. Mm. In fact, that's, that's what I would have predicted. Uh, when I first saw the appearance of uh, of Wesley, but that's you know they decided to go a, a different route than that. So I think they they definitely could have done more with that or made it a little more than just sort of a what, what felt like a tacked on cameo. Um, but again, yes. I I'm, it's funny I find myself watching this show after having talked to all of you and and and, and week after week being a little bit less the critic and a little bit more the. Uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the viewer who enjoys the ride. Uh, I, I, it's like, it's like, you know what? I maybe I don't have time in my life to just be purely critical and purely grumpy about it. Uh, because, because it was, there, there, there are a lot of flaws, I think in the terms of the, the way the season was done and told and paced. Um, but it got those feels. Um, I think, you know, that's, that may be the producers. That may be something else. Um, it's also really hard to take all these legacy characters and integrate it. I'm really excited to see what they do for next season because it's going to be well. How do we do that with the entire original cast? And since we have a background of all of them, we're not going to have to spend time explaining who Beverly Crusher is or who Jordy LaForge is. We're going to know uh, going in, and that's because it's a legacy show. It's it's sort of meant for the people who have watched it before. I thought about introducing a friend of mine to Picard because there's some of these great scenes and they really wouldn't have a frame of reference to appreciate them. Um, and I think as we will, you know, soon go into what we experienced next that evening in, in the strange new world show that gives us, that gives a, a, a great opening uh, for that capability with, 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 new fans. This is a wrap up and it makes sense. It's Patrick Stewart, the, 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 the you know, elder actor at this point, uh, coming back to reprise his role as a 91-year-old Picard. Um, so it makes sense that it's a really a show for us, for the fans who have been watching it a long time. And, uh, you know, and, and, and to give us that little bit of Wesley, and, and, he, and he kept that one secret real well, you know, and, and, he, and you could tell in his face, he was just delighted to be on screen again uh, doing that. And, well, uh, if, you, if you listen to the, um, John, I'm sure you probably did, the, the Ready Room episode after this episode, I think I think he was saying that um, 
In terms of getting Wesley back on the episode, it was difficult because there's a bunch of Star Trek properties that wanted to use Wesley at the same time. That's what he was implying. It was like a yeah. It was like who they, they apparently have plans for Wesley, or at, least, or at least enough plans that it prevented them from deciding where he would actually ultimately fall up or reappear in their in their new Star Trek universe that they're building. So I, I thought that was very interesting. The, the other thing I would say about the Wesley. Just to call back, it's, I, I thought about this last episode when we recorded and I didn't bring it up. It would have been it would have been uh, a, a sort of Babylon 5 nod to have Wesley be the one to lead Q to the other side of wherever Q was going. I thought it would have been another fanfic way of integrating these two powerful beings and have familiar faces to them would have been another way to go. But I yeah. figure I throw my, my writer's hat. Uh, since everyone else is in this episode, I'll throw my writer's hat thing. I would have had Wesley guide Q to the, to the great beyond. Um, and it's interesting that, that that last scene where Q doesn't say farewell or or goodbye. He said, "I'll see you out there." I, th- I think that 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 hug, if you will, it sort of gave a little bit of hope to Q that he's not alone, and that whatever this next step is, that you know we think of his death, um, there is going to be something. And and he says it with a with a confidence uh, uh, there, which makes me wonder, you know, will there be, you know, a, you know, some, some, some form of an echo of Q in Picard's life uh, and Picard's own death. You, you never know. We know, we know from discovery that the Q continuum has gone silent. So they've probably gone beyond the rim there. They, they've taken their own journey. And I don't think we're going to ever see anything direct of a Q again. Uh, and, and I'm okay with that. I think they've wrapped up the Q storyline here because what else if it, it would almost be it, 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 it would be reductive to bring them back it would reduce what they did here to be okay well here's q you know messing about again or here's another q that we're going to bring in to do this um i i think it's a good send-off to that uh particular component of star trek uh and, and leaves plenty of room for new stuff I agree. Oh, including okay. the new Borg. I mean, the, the new Borg and whatever this next threat is going to be, because they said that's a, that's a transwarp, uh, you know, a, a conduit opening of huge proportion there. And they're obviously setting up season three for, okay, that was, you know, a bit of a surprise at the ending. And this is why the Borg Queen is here is to save us all um, and, uh, you know, get the fleet together to stop this massive energy ripple from occurring. Um, and again, the science wines thing, like I, I can, I can sort of buy into why they, you know, they get it right at the, at, right at the start. They'll stop it from, you know, uh, exponentially growing and, you know, wiping out part of the quadrant. Um, and that's always something we, we sort of concede in Star Trek. And I'm sure a lot of people were looking at why are they seeing it on all these different planets? Well, it was a, whatchamacallit quantum wave thingy that seven of nine says, and we're like, okay, so I guess that means it's like beyond time and space and they're seeing it on all the planets. So there we go. You know, I just sort of got a hand wave that away. You know, let's hope that all of these like cosmic weather events that threaten to wipe out the galaxy um, are are more fictional than and less frequent than uh, they're uh, portrayed. Because because, you know, until we have a Starfleet that can, you know, mitigate the effects like where I feel like we're really in a lot of danger. (laughs) Well, maybe we have a cue looking over us right now. To, to help us until we get to that level, that would be that would be the yeah. He only... can snap his fingers and change the gravitational constant of the universe so that the asteroid that's on a collision course with us uh, uh, misses. And right. Did anyone yes. else get the vibe of Q as Doctor, like Doctor Who, the way he was sort of referring to things and, and talking about time, and uh, you know, it, it felt almost like he was either a burgeoning time lord or was like, "Huh, that's how all this works." 
Um, but there were just I, there, there were just some lines where I was like, yeah, I could see the doctor saying that. I also kind of got, uh, uh, you know, Time Lord vibes from Wesley as well. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, yes. in a different way. Different yeah. Different way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, the, and the line about the tapestry of the universe, how it's perfect, <clears throat> but always one thread away from completely being torn apart in disaster. Um, I, I thought that was sort of a, a, a neat way of describing, you know, existence. Um, and knowing yeah. when to interfere on, you know, you have, you have, you have the birth of a, of a star and the end of a civilization. When do you interfere? Because that's, that's the eternal question that you'd even ask Q, like, why didn't you save us all? Why didn't you save an entire planet? Why, why did you let this catastrophe happen? Well, it's because it's well, above our pay grade. It's beyond our understanding. Um, and no, no, no TV show, no writer, no author is going to have an answer that's adequate to that. So they create a character who can sort of, say, yeah, it's there. I can't quite explain it to you. And you know what? We're doing our best. Um, and ultimately, maybe even when the catastrophes happen, when the bad things happen, there's still hope because even Q is going to go on to something different and more uh, or, or, so, or so now we're led to believe. Yeah, no, I like that. He didn't. He's 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 a, he has the possibility of still being around in some form, which I liked. It wasn't like a definitive end, which left it open, but it was definitely like he definitely was talking more like Q at the end of this episode and he was, and sort of beyond Q and a more mature Q. He had matured in the time of which we first met him in episode one or at really episode two when we got the full um, extent of where the Q continuum was at. So I was, I was very happy with that, with that sort of send off for the character as a whole. So Q went through um, his own journey. If you saw that uh, from, from angry in the beginning, not accepting it, you know, all, all <clears throat> kinds of things. So there was a parallel to Picard in that regards too. And I think that was intentional. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I was. Yeah, I would, I would agree absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, no. So to to touch on you know uh, John's point, um, no, as as you know, I was considering the show. Uh, it, it very much uh, seemed to follow loosely, uh, but to, to Kubler Ross, um, you know, uh, notion of 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 kind of like um, you know um, the stages of grief that that one goes through, um, and and so I think on on one level you could almost plot it along the, the, the arc of the, the series and, and actually see Q going through all of those um, in a way that, that uh, was, I think, consistent with the character this season. Well, that's a great observation, Jack. I hadn't thought about it that way. But that's a, that's no, a and not only that, I think that's the only way to, uh, to read or explain um, a lot of Q's behavior in a way that makes sense. Like the, the, um, uh, we all commented on the slap, you know, when Q uh, slapped uh, Picard, you know, which was very out of character and very, you know, sort of shocking. Um, and we all assumed that what we would discover later would shed some light on why he was behaving that way. I think the only way to read that in retrospect, since it's not dealt with, it, uh, you know, explicitly in in dialogue at any um, at any point, and goes uh, without a, a comment or explanation. You know, the only way uh, to read it in a way that makes sense is as the anger uh, stage of grief, certainly. And that's an excellent observation, Jack, that, um, uh, you know, as soon as you said that, the, uh, you know, the disparate scenes of Q's uh, uh, sprinkled throughout the season, he did sort of feel like a bit of a different character or at least um, a character in a different state of mind each time we saw him I think uh i think as you suggest um that's the exact way uh 
uh, to read the character when he appears th- uh, throughout the season. I think that that all makes it click into place, at least for me. No, def- definitely for, for, for me too. Each, each, each scene was like a stage of, of the process of grief. Of grief. You know, yeah. when he, when he meets with Adam soon, that's bargaining. When he meets with Guinan in the jail cell, he's depressed. And then when we finally, mm-hmm. we get him in the last scene, that's the acceptance. So acceptance. Uh, it, yeah. Very, yeah. very nice. Very nicely done. Well, do we have any other thoughts about Picard, the wrap up and everything before we um, move on to our next, our next thing in this, in this episode? Very much looking forward to season three. I, I agree. Um, so um, we will we will hopefully get more. I, I mean, I think Girardi will probably be in season three too. So I think some of the characters, obviously, we have all the entire next gen crew, but I think um, we will see Raffi and Seven and everyone else when we go into season three. But I'm very much looking forward to season three as well. So our other item here uh, is to talk about Strange New Worlds episode one. I unless I'm wrong, I mean, we all we've all talked and and messaged offline. There's nobody, nobody in this room didn't like the first episode. Is that correct? I, I'm assuming That's that. That's correct. Okay. Uh, if anyone is, like, I, I, we would love to talk about it. But I think talking to all of you individually and some of you as a group in text, we all agreed we like this, uh, this, this launch of this new series. So, Joe, since you've been with us through the whole Picard thing, I'm going to have you kick us off. What were your thoughts and feelings on Strange New Worlds Episode 1? You really want me to kick it off? Okay, sit down, guys. <laughs> For that season already. <laughs> Uh, some observations. I want to start with some observations first. Uh, the opening not only pays homage to the original TOS with uh, Pike's voiceover, but if you really watch that closely, as, as the Enterprise moves through space in that opening, there, uh, there's a little homage to Next Gen, Voyager, and DS9, the way the ship is moving through space, passing certain things, certain planets. So I, I kind of like that. I thought Una's first contact ship being named the USS Archer was cool, obviously. Transporter sound effect evokes the sound in the original pilot, the cage. Uh, then they combine the transporter tech with replicated tech for away missions to native cultures. No more ship stores, right? Uh, still using communicators and somewhat updated um, tricorders. Mr. Kiley, Mr. Kiley uh, finally getting something to do in an episode besides begging your universe Spock not to employ his agonizer. Leon has an acerbic tongue, reminiscent of Dr. Uh, McCoy. Cadet Hall on, star, on Starship Rotation, kind of like med school. I would have liked to have seen Pike's shuttlecraft uh, dock with the Enterprise and then, then requesting permission to come aboard, but that's, you know, nitpicky. Samuel Kirk, member of the crew at the end. I, was, I didn't see that coming. That is so friggin' cool. And instead of um, hit it, I would have had uh, um, um, Pike uh, say engaged because he did say that in the pilot episode 25 years before Picard of said on, on television. Uh, and the, one of the coolest things about this episode, and I think what's going to be cool about this very this this particular show is the Star Trek banter is back between amongst the characters. Uh, it's uh, you can see that Leon and Spock are going to have that McCoy Spock uh, kind of relationship, but there's people saying things throughout the episode that is just so reminiscent of the of, of TOS the original series. Um, and my favorite exchange, other than Pike's stirring speech to the leaders of Kylie's two, two, uh, 279, Spock, fascinating. Pike, I'm always Spock, quizzically, quizzically looking at Pike, apologetically, Pike, it's a figure of speech. I, <laughs> I cracked up. I laughed out loud. Um, these little things all added up to one really freaking great Star Trek experience for this 
you know, diehard, all-time Trekkie. I loved it. I really loved the first episode. Yeah, everything you said, Joe, was was great. I, I agree with all of it. Uh, John, John, go ahead. Oh yeah, I I was see, I I had I was very glad to have watched both these episodes um, with people and uh, people who are you know at least one who is you know, at least as hardcore Trekkie as I am, and I could just feel the energy from the episode from uh, uh, people watching it together. It I don't know how else to describe. It. I was just like, wow this is star trek yep. it, it, it's it's star trek the original series in its most modern form ever uh, you know next generation is its own star trek this this harkens back but 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 while creating something new on its own too and i i don't know how they did it i really don't know how they did it because from from, from the very beginning i felt just a sense of excitement it was satisfying on almost every level and they went, you know, they, they they gave who they gave screen time to. They they didn't try to introduce every character in episode one. They did a few. Um, they did it well. We got we got to know you know this version of Spock. And okay, I want to know who his personal trainer is first of all, um, <laughs> because I was not aware that Vulcans had pecs like that. Um, and uh, and there was you know Pike sort of the reluctance you know reluctant captain because of his own. Talk about being trapped in the past. He's trapped in this potential future uh, um, of that, and 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 coming back to the Enterprise, it it really was this you know. But there was a you know once they all got together, there was this sense of you know adventure and joy and excitement. Um, the style was amazing. Again, taking what the you know late sixties uh, a visual you know mid century modern sort of style and bring that into a you know, modern era with a little bit of J.J. Abrams, you know, lens flare-esque, but not too much, thankfully. Um, and it just worked. I, th- I felt like I was on the Enterprise again. And I haven't, I haven't felt like I've been on the original Enterprise since Star Trek VI. Uh, so it's been uh, 21 years since, since I felt like I was on the, uh, you know, bridge of the original, or the, of the original Enterprise. John, I'm sorry. That's, th- uh, that's 31 years. 31 years. Oh my God. I know. And the only reason, and the only reason, and the only reason why I had that on the tip of my tongue is because I feel every year. <laughs> what should I say? <laughs> yeah. I know. Wait till you get to where, you know, Joe and I are. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Thank you, Jack. Jack, I will never forget this. This is, this is infinite with mint condition. One of the first times I met you, Jack was in mint, in mint condition. You walked in and I think you had recently turned 30 and you're telling all us youngins in our early twenties and late teens, Oh, you have no idea what happens to your body. And you got on on about it. I will always remember that. And I kept that in mind when I turned 30. I was like, what's going to happen? What's, what's really, what's really going to go on? It wasn't that bad, but always. But again, so much worse. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and Jack, you're still on brand telling us what happens as it goes along. So I appreciate yeah, Exactly. Hey, you know, I'm consistent. You're consistent. Um, Northern jo- star. <laughs> uh, Josh, what were your, um, what were your thoughts and feelings on, on this, on this episode? No, I mean, I loved it. I agree with everything um, John and Joe have said so far. I think, you know, really a lot of the feel that we're um, uh, we're talking about, um, 
I think there are a few things that contribute to it um, um, being so successful and feeling so right and so Star Trek-y. Um, number one, I really do think, um, you know, we're coming full circle. We are returning to um, the episodic format of of television where, um, you know, every week you get a... Um, a complete story, a full meal, a self-contained adventure uh, with um, a beginning, middle, and end. Uh, you know, with um, through lines um, that are are based on the characters. Obviously, um, we have the ongoing uh, str- a struggle of 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 Captain of Captain Pike to um, deal with the uh, his knowledge of his ultimate fate of. Uh, um, of of how he becomes uh, gravely injured and will uh, suffer in the future. Uh, we have the through line of of Spock and Tapring, uh, which uh, we know how that ultimately uh, turns out from a mock time in the original series. You, uh, you know, I'm seeing this long distance relationship uh, between the two of them, seeing where it 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 starts and knowing where it ends. I'm sure that um, um, that will uh, uh, be a struggle for for Spock. Uh, to handle the deterioration of this uh, uh, relationship, I loved uh, the other new characters, and that's uh, uh, the other thing I really think is um, you can't underestimate the the casting, and I really think that uh, whether it was uh, the casting of Anson Mount as Captain Pike or uh, Rebecca Romaine as as Number One, and uh, down through um, th- uh, the rest of the crew that they um th- they cast for the series proper i really think and anson mount in particular just because we've seen the most from him he is just so wonderful to watch he he gives off um this amazing energy um even when he's um he's he's down in the dumps and doubting himself as he is in this episode um i really think it's a it's a combination of you know, wanting to spend time with these characters and the episodic format of the show, of the storytelling that um, really contributes uh, to that um, sense of essential Star Trekiness. And, um, you know, the other thing that I really liked this, um, uh, uh, this episode in particular, you know, they uh, they shot this alien civilization on um, real locations that um, the architectural style was kind of uh, uh, a mid-century modern. Uh, really reminded me of the location work that they did in the original series at times, like when um, they shot um, uh, the planet Deneva in Operation Annihilate. Yes, which is, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, which is... Uh, coincidentally, also uh, the episode uh, where we meet uh, Samuel Kirk, Kirk. Uh, for the f- uh, for the first and final time. I loved the uh, the reveal that th- the Lieutenant Kirk that they were talking about throughout the episode wasn't James T. Kirk. Yeah. Uh, which, if you're into, uh, you know, uh, which if you have knowledge of um, uh, the paratext outside of the show, we all saw uh, the announcement that they. Um, had cast the young James T. Kirk. So we were all primed. We all assumed that that's who they were talking about. And I won't lie, as soon as they mentioned um, Lieutenant Kirk in dialogue, I think about halfway through the episode, I was like, oh, God, not so soon. Like, I want to get to know this crew uh, (laughs) before they... So then, uh, so the reveal 
uh, that it was Sam, his brother. I was like, well played, show. Well played. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a couple of other notes I want to... Um, I just, I just want to uh, get it out before I forget. I thought thematically... Uh, this episode was um, very, very tight, and I was very impressed. The and it also uh, ties into kind of a a um, throwback in like sci-fi aesthetics. Uh, you know, not only is it 1960s Star Trek, uh, but it's also 1950s sci-fi that they're paying homage uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 to a little. The the um uh, the most obvious one is obviously. Uh, uh, Pike is uh, watching the day the Earth stood still at the beginning, uh, which informs how um, he resolves uh, the conflict uh, toward the end. He uh, because he basically does exactly the same thing that happens uh, that happens in the movie. The aliens um, see that uh, uh, we're about uh, to destroy each other with our nuclear weapons, and they show up, you know, in a big um, uh, spaceship, and they and they land, and they say. Hey, you guys are really fucking up. If you don't get your act together, uh, you know you'll have us uh, to contend with, and you're going to destroy yourselves. So, so, uh, uh, so that was sort of, uh, you know, an interesting nod. Uh, but then also, you know, just this idea. Um, I was watching um, some of the other behind the scenes material, and they uh, they're talking to uh, the composer Jeff Russo about the music, and he says. Uh, you know, he was um, trying to decide whether or not uh, to bring in vocals in the main theme uh, to kind of to kind of echo the chorus in the original series. Uh, but he ultimately went with theremin, uh, which is that um, uh, very unique um, kind of electronic sound that is um, you hear on the soundtrack of, of just about every sci-fi movie from the 1950s. And it's a really unusual uh, kind of a sci-fi instrument. It sort of uh, creates um, like a magnetic wave and you play it uh, 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 by um, manipulating the wave, like with your hands in midair. And it like uh, creates these like, you know, very strange uh, sort of electronic otherworldly sounding tones. And, uh, the choice uh, to use that over the choral arrangement that we hear in the theme of the original series, uh, for me, uh, just on a, um, a subconscious level, uh, kind of uh, places uh, this show, um, you know, in the decade before the original series uh, by evoking that 1950s sci-fi sound, uh, which mm. is a decade prior uh, to th- uh, the sound of 1960s uh, Star Trek. I don't know how... Um, how intentional that aspect of it uh, uh, was, but that's how how it played for me, and I thought that that was an interesting little touch. No, def- definitely, um, Joe. You've been wanting to chime in. What what what, uh, what do you what, what do you have to say? Well, I would like to agree with Josh about the, the the music score there. I think that was very intentional. Knowing these showrunners, they seem to pay attention to detail. They know the history and uh, of this particular show, and obviously just world history in general. So. I think that was very intentional. And Josh, there's one more through line for a character that I am very interested in seeing uh, played out. And that, of course, is Le- Leon Nunyan Singh. I mean, I think her character yes. is incredible right off the bat. I just want to know so much more about this character. So I'm looking forward to that. And and think about it when, you know, uh, Pike is speaking to Sp- uh, Spock. Yeah, it's a Spock, right? And Spock tells him, you know, you've got to give me advice about... Um, Using that suffering and seeing his own death to be to be the captain, that's obviously a call ahead to Pike's warning to the inhabitants of Kylie Two Seven Nine, right on their destructive path. But also Leon, Leon's story uh, about her survival, 
from the uh, from the uh, with with the uh, encounter with the uh, the Gorn also the Gorn, informs yeah. also informs Pike and pushes him in the direction to where he goes at the end of this end of the show when he when he uh, decides I'm going to show them show them what happened on Earth in, in the 21st century. So um, she I think she's going to be a very pivotal character in this series, and I I just can't wait to see how her story unfold. Uh, I know absolutely. That's actually uh, I digressed. Uh, but that's uh, what I meant about the the thematic unity of this episode, like that mm-hmm, yeah. the um, the uh, the weaving in of what we know is going on with um, uh, Pike uh, with Pike internally about confronting the knowledge of his own of his own death, um, the experience in that wonderful scene with um, uh, Pike and uh, uh, Leon Hanunian Singh, and then and then all the way to. Uh, uh, the resolution of the um, uh, the conflict of this episode, like it's all, it it's sort of, they all sort of inform the uh, the solution that um, uh, uh, Captain uh, Captain Pike hits upon, and I thought it was yes. um, a, a very um, uh, well handled. The only other thing I want to note is I'm now also very interested in what um, uh, uh, Leon Nunian sings. Um, storyline is going to be and how she relates uh to the most famous Nunian Singh of them all mm-hmm. Khan and what I was not expecting was there to be a nod uh to the Khan storyline in Picard where I think it's 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 quite possibly uh, uh just a throwaway easter egg but we see Adam Sung uh pull out a file at the end uh where you know on the cover it says project Khan and uh, the date of 1996, uh, which is um, uh, when Khan supposedly escaped uh, the Earth ab- aboard the Botany Bay. Um, mm-hmm. So I wonder if that has some uh, uh, bearing on what um, may happen later. Uh, we do know, obviously, that uh, one of 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 Sung's uh, uh, descendants was involved with the augments from uh, from Enterprise. So. I don't know. There's a lot going on there, and also uh, the invocation. Uh, Pike himself he refers uh, uh, to um, the eugenics wars, and that scene where um, right. he shows uh, uh, Kylie two seven nine a glimpse of what uh, may lie in store for them, which I I think uh, we all probably have a lot to say about. Well, I don't think it's any accident, probably, with the writers of, of the two shows no. to have to have like a nod to Khan and one at the same time you're launching a new series with the character who. Has the same last name. Well, I thought they did a great job. It's funny if we're talking about Khan and all this other stuff. Uh, if you were watching the two episodes back to back, the end of Picard season two going into this brand new show, um, it actually gave you a lot to carry forward uh, and, and feel like, hey, these two are, are fundamentally linked. Um, you know, beyond the fact that uh, you know there, there, there's the Khan reference and a character who we're going to find out you know, a, a lot about, I assume, but the idea of like, what would it be like to be one of the, you know, uh, daughters or descendants of Khan Noonien Singh and, and, and how would that mm-hmm. shape you and make you as a person? But there we are. This episode, for me, the, the, the theme that came across in that one was when was the unexpected, out of normal protocol idea of encountering a society with warp technology. And yes, they sort of write it in that they sort of blame themselves because that was the thing they used to, uh, in Discovery to save the universe, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, it's not really their fault, but they'd never encountered a society before where they had gotten to warp technology and 
it wasn't being used for transport. And it, it, the, the, the central theme, totalitarianism, uh, uh, the, 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 the lurching towards it. Um, and so here we encounter a society that is, you know, about as advanced as late 20th century, early 21st century Earth. And it was terrifying because it's completely recognizable, completely recognizable. Um, and it's, oops, they got warp technology a little bit sooner than we expected them to. Uh, and they're using it in a different way than we expected them to. What do we do now? And I love the debate about the prime directive on that one, because how does the prime directive? It's not for travel, but they do have warp technology. Big old loophole right there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, w- what what would you do in, in that case? I thought this is where Star Trek does what Star Trek does best. Um, and I'm sure it ruffles a few feathers along the you know, time as well, is that it said, okay, we're going to show you what happened to Earth and where we've been. And Deep Space Nine did that. Uh, Next Generation certainly did that. Deep Space Nine, I think, did it amongst the best ways. And it was, we went through this and we nearly lost everything. And really, if it hadn't been for, you know, uh, uh, Zephyr Cochran developing the warp drive and then, you know, attracting the attention of the Vulcans, who apparently were already on Earth at some point, um, we wouldn't have been able to for lack of a better term, get our heads out of our asses. You know, that's that's really what ha- seems to happen on Earth. And that's precisely what was happening with this on this alien planet. They were just locked in this, you know, struggle that was no different than the original series. You know, half them, you know, are painted black on one side, white on the other side, and the other are reversed. It's it was that feel of there's just an arbitrariness to this conflict. Nobody quite remembers where it comes from. And yet you are willing to go to the very end with it. And Pike is just like, I've had enough. I've had enough. You know what? Let me show you my ship, <laughs> first of all, show you there's something bigger than yourselves out there. And two, here's the danger of it. And that scene was visceral for me, seeing that, um, that uh, 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 you know, what happens to Earth. They showed nuclear weapons going off and wiping out major cities. They talked about the death toll. And then it, it, it got real close to home because they didn't just use vague footage. They started using real footage of what's happening right now. Um mm-hmm. And that's where it started, you know, to touch on the, you know, the the, the political or lowercase p political of, of what we're going through right now um, in terms of a, a planet. You know, this isn't about any one specific issue, but it's a planet that we're, we're facing issues of totalitarianism on the rise on our planet, the same way that Star Trek was seeing the rise of the Soviet Union, the rise of a very powerful authoritarian uh, uh, superpower that was poised to dominate the planet. And Star Trek was like, yeah, that's a problem. And we're going to, you know, manifest into the Klingons and various other things, but it's real. We're not going to pull our punches. Uh, episode one, they're going right in. And they're like, yeah, we're, we're going to deal with allegory for the modern era through our interactions with all these alien species. And I think that's something we've been missing because they've done it very heavy handedly interpersonally with characters. Now we're going to see it through other eyes again. And I think that's one of the great storytelling mechanisms of Star Trek. Which is, it's great to return to that aspect of the original Star Trek series. Um, Everyone just kind of raised some excellent points. Um, you know, there, there's there's two things that, that I wanted to say. First on, uh, just with respect to, to what Joe said, with respect to the casting of, of, of Anson Mount. Um, for me, uh, you know, uh, I mentioned um, earlier that, you know, Discovery served as a, an excellent kind of backdoor pilot, um, you know, from that season two. But I mean, for me, what really just kind of sold me was, you know, in the the episode, you know, uh, Saints of Imperfection, 
where you know his his speech to the to the entire ship shipwide was you know all personnel this is captain pike starfleet is a promise i give my life for you you give your life for me and nobody gets left behind and since sylvia tilly is out there and she has every right to expect this we keep our promises please report to your station and designated safe zones in the starboard section good luck and godspeed to us all and he had a very similar callback in this episode where, you know, they were going to get, um, you know, Una. And, and he says, everyone comes home from this mission. Mm. Everyone. Mm. And there is such potency in, in, in the, 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 the script. I mean, the writers just got him and his delivery that you can't help but be compelled to accept him in this role. And you can't help but be completely enthralled. With this show, so I, I just wanted to 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 kind of raise that as as I mean he he, he gets the good stuff uh, to to talk about, but you know I think in in kind of touching what what everyone else said with respect to Star Trek as a franchise, Star Trek does something very unique in a way that I think uh, most other franchises don't necessarily do. It started out as original content, um, but. Over the years, it has generated sequels. It has generated prequels. It has generated remakes. It has generated, you know, one could even argue, and, and I think this is worth discussing, um, you know, when you take in consideration the production values of, of the original series, um, and, and then now you're kind of looking at, you know, Strange New Worlds, to some extent, um, it's somewhat of a, a very subtle reimagining um, because obviously they're not going to, simplify the production values to what we had, you know, in, 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 in the sixties, but they, they, they try to keep the entire uh, feeling of it. And so it's had film adaptions, it's had spin-offs, crossovers, uh, it's had reboots. Um, and, and so I say all of this insofar as is um, it has done and continues to do many different things uh, across any, that one would ever hope or expect from, from uh, uh, an intellectual property. Um, and it fortunately does more things right than it does wrong. Um, however, I, my feeling on Strange New Worlds is it is perhaps the perfect encapsulation. After one episode, I don't know, it, it can go somewhere else from here. Uh, I, I doubt it will. But it has become, it has actually defined the perfect encapsulation of everything that the original represented in a way that I think is compelling to our day and age. Uh, it's completely relatable. Uh, it's everything we thought and hoped, um, you know, the future could or should be uh, in a way that it helps us do, you know, from our discussion about what is science fiction. Um, it uses these narratives uh, that forces us to look at ourselves. And I think that is perfectly encapsulated by this first episode. Yeah, I agree, Jack. Um um, uh, two things I want to mention. I'll say the uh, 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 the uh, the less controversial one first. Um, <laughs> the um, uh, you know, Jack, you made the comment that that um, they really nailed the uh, uh, the characterization of um, of of Pike in this episode and uh, the writing in a way that was evocative of that speech that he gave on Discovery. I think um, uh, 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 this is Akiva Goldsman. Uh, Akiva Goldman's voice, the um, writer and director of this episode, and also the um, the creative uh, figure who was responsible for the return of Captain Pike into Discovery, because when they brought him on, as he said in a bunch of the behind the scenes uh, material on Paramount Plus, he he thought that this that Discovery was going to be a show about 
uh, Captain Pike aboard the Enterprise, and um, and he, and that's uh, what he wanted to see. So, so he, um, uh, so, uh, so this is sort of um, his kind of hobby horse. I mean, I mean, this is his uh, uh, his wheelhouse. So, so, uh, so it it makes sense how you know the characterization is consistent. And the other thing I also think is. Uh, coming from the mind of Akiva Goldsman is his fascination with Third World War in Star Trek's future history. I believe he wrote the episode um, very early on in Discovery season two, where um, we that that um, uh, uh, touches upon uh, World War Three and deals with the civilization that um, uh, was uh, rescued f- uh, by the uh, uh, the Red Angel or whatever it was, and then in this episode. Um, uh, which, uh, which even out did that the most explicit, you know, head-on kind of explanation uh, and acknowledgement of, uh, you know, World War Three slash the eugenics wars, uh, uh, which is, uh, you know, which according to Star Trek is supposed to happen um, in in our uh, very near future, and they allude uh, to it. In the original series in Space Sea, they allude uh, uh, to the uh, the post atomic horror in the very beginning of the Next Generation. Um, uh, but I don't think we've ever had um, the show in any of its iterations uh, just really uh, come out and say no. In uh, you know, in the next uh, 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 decades, um, we are going to have a full scale n- nuclear. Uh, uh, nuclear war, um, and um, uh, you know, which um, as of this recording has some very frightening resonances uh, with what's happening between uh, Russia and Ukraine. And the other thing that um, uh, really kind of stopped me in my tracks was um, the invocation of a second civil war in the United States. Um, I thought it was a very uh, ballsy, um, for lack of a better term uh uh a bold a bold statement uh to make that um i think um uh, uh, ties into um s- something i i do take some issue with in this episode and again i want to reiterate i love this episode i thought it was fantastic i even loved that it went where it went but one place where i think it falls a little short and i'm not faulting the episode for this uh because i don't know how else it it could have really handled it um uh, but i thought there was something a little facile in the way that that it handled um the conflict that was happening on this planet and john i think uh you know um you said something along the lines of uh you know when 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 pike shows up he sees these two warring factions you know that have uh forgotten the reasons why uh, they're fighting in the first place and he's just sick of it I I kind of take issue with the idea that uh, this outsider sh- sh- shows up and just assumes th- that each side has um uh, bears the same amount of uh, culpability for this conflict and that you guys either have to figure this out uh, uh the merits of your arguments and the reasons for the conflict are completely beside the point um uh because like that um that you know makes me you know think of that um uh, a restitution policy that they used to have uh, you know uh, you know in elementary schools and a lot of elementary schools in this country at least where 
you know, when there was a fight, uh, the two parties involved, uh, they each equally had to make restitution uh, uh, to the other party. And it 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 didn't matter who started it. So in other words, if 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 somebody if somebody uh, picks on you and you fight back, you will uh, uh, be uh, be treated, uh, uh, you know, to be equally as um, uh, uh, guilty and at fault as the instigator. And you will have to make it up to the person who hit you again. I don't know how the show could have dealt with that. I think broadly, uh, I think broadly speaking, um, the, uh, you know, what the episode is saying is that, you know, we have to look upward. We have, um, we have to start thinking about um, uh, 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 the future of our civilization and, um, you, uh, you know, what is, uh, uh, possible and we have to you know look at these problems and figure out how we can solve them together my only thing is and i believe they had um uh, uh, the president of this uh, uh planet say something uh to the effect of you know but what happens when not everyone is willing to have that conversation you know how do you negotiate with someone who's not willing to negotiate no, that's a good. That's a great. That's a great point, um, Josh. Um, to respond. Yeah, a few things. Um, as far as the um, the pilot, the, uh, this episode could be considered a pilot, correct? I feel, you know, I'm sure the second season of uh, Discovery is a backdoor pilot, but um, I, this is not my own uh, musings. I heard this on uh, on a YouTube channel yesterday. But in television history, this has to be the longest um, pilot to series. Because, you know, the original pilot of the case was 1964, and 58 years later, we get a Captain uh, Pike uh, Star Trek series. So that's, you know, something I just wanted to throw out there. Um, Josh, the Eugenics War was uh, in canon, according to Memory Alpha, 1992 to 1996. I think they mentioned that uh, in the late 1990s uh, in one episode of the original series. Um, and as far as, you know, uh, culpability uh, with the, uh, the two sides on Kylie 279, I think it's a very Star Trek classic, or if you want to say trope, that uh, when these these conflicts arise, uh, Star Trek is always trying to put it, always trying to frame it that there's always two sides to a story, and that the, both sides are culpable. And um, it, you, the only way you're going to have a peace, uh, a lasting peace, is if you both, you know, put your put your swords down and 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 come to the table and speak. So I didn't have a problem with that. And I think possibly if the show had not been uh, in its format as it is now, a uh, episodic, but had it been serialized like the other uh, other Star Trek episodes, new, new Star Trek shows, we might have seen that the conflict on Kylie 279 play out. And we might have seen more of a background of that conflict. And one side might have been more you know, in the wrong than the other. But I think it works for this, for this particular episode. And getting back to the pilot, again, this being a pilot episode, um, I think I've mentioned this on our, on our previous podcast, James. Um, I'm a huge fan of um, the uh, show that was on NBC some years ago, Friday Night Lights. I think it is the single best television show ever. And I always thought that was the best pilot I had ever seen, the first episode of Friday Night Lights. I think it was 2006. But I'm thinking that, you know, Strange New Worlds, this might be the best pilot episode of any TV show I've ever seen. And wow. I, I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing. I've seen a lot of TV. So, yeah, this this thing was wow. 
this thing blew me away and um i can't wait for the next nine episodes <laughs> i'm giddy over this i really am so that's, that's what i wanted to say i mean i think probably like the the level of care and execution of the of the pilot of this first episode mixed with the fact that i many star trek fans i mean there's there's debate about next gen versus original series but many star trek fans have a love and appreciation for the original series and we haven't seen it for so long that it probably mm-hmm. it was a combination of both things of the anticipation and also the the way they pulled it off um married together made it such an enjoyable experience watching this first episode and and i think i mean josh or or maybe it was john like it, they they had a good mingling of the original series effects mixed with that a little bit of that sleekness from i guess jj's enterprise a little bit in there to modernize it but they didn't go to the point where they took it out of the era and i feel like pike's personality to me is like a a little bit of a hybrid between uh, kirk and picard sort of yes he's, he's very rational minded and logical but he's also He's a little bit more witty and charming and stuff than Picard was. He's got more of that Kirk sort of, um, I guess, interaction to him. So it's, well, it's sort of like the, the two best captains that of, of, of Star Trek thus far mingled together to create this one this one new, or I should say original captain. They, fi- they finally get to flesh him out fully in this character. Well, James, yeah. pulling, pulling the Enterprise down from space and bringing it into the atmosphere over Kavi 279 is a very James Kirk thing to, type of thing to do, right? That's very a Kirk, Kirk move. Very Kirk. That, yeah. That's very Kirk, Kirk, but Picard. But Picard's the person who probably lock him in a room and say, "We got to like diplomatically figure this out." So it's so, you know. the guy who came down in the middle of their uh, rantings and ratings when they when they were trying to get together and says, um, "You know," and, and he beams in and uh, hi, uh, I'm here to show you what happened on my world. That's Picard. Yeah, that's Picard. Yeah. So they got a nice blending. Uh, oh yeah, I'm 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 loving this. This is like oh my god, this is this is the best of Star Trek all over again. Like we're we're right back <laughs> right back in mint condition, going all over it again. Um, uh, I, I mean, ever since Pike appeared in Discovery, I've been saying that is it, somehow he does seem to distill a lot of the best, um, best, uh, um, aspects of Star Trek captains. And it's just also so compelling. Josh heard about that speech he gave, you know, it's just it, it, everything worked. Um, what's, what, what, what drove, what, something that stood out to me when we, you know, Josh, you said about like, they didn't remember the conflict, sort of the arrogant, there is sort of an arrogance there. There has to be an arrogance almost to be a captain of a ship mm-hmm. because they talk about, you know, how, how it is, you know, sort of lonely in that position. And they, and there was, I'm trying to remember the scene when, and Spock says to him, says, because you are the captain, it's yeah, almost right. like this mythical position, but that's what it is. Uh, at least as far as Star Trek is, is considered. And they're, and they're taking sort of the Navy, you know, the Navy fleet idea with that, but it rests on him. Um, and he is this sort of figure and it would make sense that, you know, it, there would be an arrogance there. Um, but he's had to learn how to temper it. And, and, and I think what we get to see is Captain Pike is much further along that journey than Captain Kirk is, um, uh, on, you know, in, 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 at the beginning of his career and at the beginning of original series. So we're getting a little bit more of a mature captain who's also seen his own fate. So that's, that's why I think this is going to be a unique journey compared to, uh, original series and then we're going to see the even younger brasher captain kirk so i can't wait to see that clash because i imagine that's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how that all uh plays out to say to say the least um but all, all that said the fact that they were willing to you know dive in deep on the issues of the prime directive uh uh, uh you know the, the importance of you know, why they have it in the first place, but how it's sort of malfunctioning policy-wise on them with this just shows that they're 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 gonna be doing interesting stuff, I think, for for the entirety of the show. 
Uh, I think some there'll be some lighter episodes, some heavier episodes. Um, this 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 was a little bit, I think, a little bit heavier, but still very accessible. Um, and now you mentioned it, seeing the Enterprise in orbit, I always thought, oh, the Enterprise can't go into orbit, but it did in the original series a few times in Earth orbit, didn't mm-hmm. it? Yes, it did. Mm-hmm. Yes, it did. So there, so there we go. Yeah, it was just, I, I'm, I'm so pleased with the creation of Captain Pike as we have now from Discovery. I think that's what that's what redeemed Discovery as a show, uh, and that's no disservice to um, uh, what was his name Eric Isaacs as as Captain Lorca. It's just that that was literally meant to be a villainous character, so it didn't yeah. quite uh, didn't quite land very well. And that show also had a, was a mess because it had three different production teams in the first season. This, this is a show, it knows what it is. And you can tell that from this first episode, it's confident in what it is and it's going to, and it's going to do it. So, I, I mean, I have to, oh, well, Joe, I see, I see your hands up about something. I just wanted to say, uh, Captain Pike, uh, screw General Order 1. Years later, Captain Kirk, what prime directive? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Right? And of course, did everyone see that there, there, there was Admiral uh, Robert April. Yes, That's Admiral right. Robert yeah, April. Right. Yes, yeah. Bob Bob is the Admiral right? April. That's cool. The original. They did, Something they did, that always. Did they reference him being captain of the Enterprise, or did they? I, I, I didn't catch it. I don't know if they did. Yeah, I don't think they did in this particular episode, uh, though. But it does seem like uh, they are setting up. Uh, they're setting up Admiral April to kind of uh, 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 be like the voice of the top uh, uh, Starfleet brass, like sort of the interface. Uh, between uh, uh, between Starfleet Command and um, and Captain Pike and the Enterprise, so 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 hopefully we will be seeing uh, more of him. And you know, I really liked, you know, not even in like a fan servicey sort of a way. I really liked the inclusion of Robert April uh, because, uh, you know, presuming they do um, stick with his backstory as the uh, the captain of the Enterprise on uh, the Enterprise's first five year mission. Something that always irked me in Star Trek Three was uh, they got the math wrong um, when they're talking about retiring the Enterprise, and they're like, "Yeah, um, only and they years say, old? yeah, and they say it's only twenty years old." And I'm like, "No, man, it's over forty years old." It's got to be exactly, <laughs> yeah. And you know, um, one of the things that I love about the Enterprise that obviously Gene Roddenberry had in um, had in mind when he was creating um, uh, the ship for the show to be a literal a vehicle for the show is he wanted to create a ship with some 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 history. So by the time uh, 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 we're aboard her in the original series, uh, you know she uh, she's already had multiple uh, captains beforehand on on multiple five-year missions of exploration and this idea that like, you know, she's a very, a very, um, a very, uh, a very illustrious traveled ship uh, beyond, uh, you know, uh, beyond even what we know. And I'm glad that there was a bit of a nod uh, to uh, the enterprise's status as a, uh, you know, a very illustrious vessel uh, with a history. Yeah, no, I, I, I love, I love, yeah, I love that. I mean, and the callback to, to to having Captain April there as as Admiral April was was a great nod to the overall history of the ship and the show. Uh, I have to I have to ask as we wrap this up, and I, I did it at the end of the first episode of Picard, but uh, I figured it's it's uh, bring it back now. What do we uh, What do we hope to What do we hope to see going forward from the show? Any 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 thoughts about ideas we're going to see in this season, or things we would just like to see as a fan? And um, as we go forward into this first season, I don't really know, and I'm glad as long as it's more of 
this level of, you know, quality and thoughtfulness, I think I'm just in for the ride. I'm really, as Joe said, and as I think everyone else um, feels as well, I'm just, I am really, really excited for the next nine mm-hmm. weeks. Yeah. You said it. I'm, I'm there with the title of the show. I'm hoping for Strange New Worlds. Uh, I'm hoping not for fan service. I'm hoping for things I have not yet seen in the show. I mean, well, you know, at, at all. Uh, and I think that's what we're going to be getting from this. Uh, which is why it's so exciting is it's going to be some real new chapters. Um, because a lot of past Trek have been, you know, have, have still been sort of constrained by a lot of the storytelling mechanisms, you know, and, and okay, we got to have this group, this, th- I, I think the, uh, the canvas, they can paint anything they want on it. And from the little previews we've seen, it's going to be really impressive. I, I agree. I agree. I, agree. Yeah. I, I just want to see more of the, uh, the, as Josh put it, the through lines with all these characters, all these new characters, and um, I love, even though she didn't have much to do, I, I, I love Cadet Ahura. She's, she's, she was so cute and so oh, adorable. <laughs> I and can't wait to see more of her. And handling, oh, yeah, handling that scene, flawless. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And actually, I was about to say, yeah, the one thing that I actually do really hope is that we, uh, we get to learn a little more about Ahura, um, yes. who's, uh, whose character, uh, you know, as wonderful as she was in uh, uh, TOS in the movies, I always... I always thought uh, I deserved a little, a little more than what we got. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad she was the character they chose to add on from the original series yes, that we get to explore in this first season. Uh, Jack, what are your uh, thoughts for this uh, next nine weeks of storytelling? Yeah, I mean, so for me, um, I I think it's been said, but I, I truly hope the writers don't um, fall into the trap of fan service uh, and and nostalgia to try to keep the the fans uh, uh, happy and satisfied. I mean, looking back on uh, the first season of Next Generation, you know, uh, they they did um, The Naked Time, which was basically just an updated version of The Naked Now. And, um, you know, and I know they the show kind of encountered some problems with some writer strikes and various other kinds of challenges. But but I, you know, we have an opportunity here to kind of go in, in a, a bold new direction. Uh, I'm not excited about the fact that, you know, they're even planning to bring uh, James Kirk to the show. Uh, I honestly feel, from my perspective, let's keep those two universes separate um, and, and just allow this this crew and this show to breathe. Um, without having to be weighed down by, um, you know, the anticipation and uh, just the, the legacy that that character brings. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm along for the ride. I'm in. I'm all in. Um, but uh, I would just just tell me home new stories. You can tie it in. Uh, I'd love to see, you know, some first contact with some like if they did a first contact with, um, you know, the the. Uh, the Bojorans or, or the Cardassians. That would be something I would think that would be fascinating. Um, but mm-hmm. again, let's not make it so much where oh, you like this, right? So we're going to give you some of that, you know? I I agree with you, Jack. I've come to a point when consuming pop culture and all it's either it's movies or comic books or, or, or books or whatever I'm reading or viewing. Show me, show me something I didn't know I wanted to see until you showed it to me or wrote it on a page for me. So I don't know what's coming in the season, but I want to be surprised and I want to be like, wow, I can't believe I never thought I wanted to see it until you, until you wrote this part and showed me this on screen. That would be, make me very happy for the rest of the season mm-hmm. going forward. Thank you to the uh, listening audience for listening to us wrap up one Star Trek series and start the next one. Uh, we, we will be continuing in some form, probably not every week like we've been doing, but in some form we will continue 
exploring now strange new worlds with you each, uh, through the episodes. But I want to thank everybody who is here today. Jack, thank you for beaming in. My pleasure. Thank you, everyone. Joe, thank you. And I think you're going to be joining us on this uh, journey through Strange New Worlds as an ongoing crew member. Yes, I will. All I have to say right now is engage. Engage. <laughs> and of course, the original crew, thank you, John, for being here. My pleasure. And Josh, thank you for being here as well. Always a pleasure. And you, as the, uh, as the listening audience, um, if you want to engage with us in this conversation about Star Trek, please uh, look at the Facebook group, Secret Origins and Mink Condition. Uh, you can post comments and leave your thoughts uh, there when I, I make the posting for these episodes, and you can always go back to them and add to your comments. If you happen to be watching us on YouTube, um, please uh, like, share, and subscribe to the channel. We definitely appreciate it. And if you have any additional thoughts about what we've been talking about or things you'd like us to talk about in the future, maybe you can reach us at Secret Origins, uh, Secret Origins MC at gmail.com. Uh, we thank you for listening. And in the words of Christopher Pike, hit it.